right, if you guys have your Bibles, um, Galatians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. Let me uh, set this up real quickly. We have to understand what, why a book is written, why a passage is, is there in our Bibles. And this, cha- this book is really written to a group of Christians, Gentile Christians, meaning non-Jews, who had received Jesus Christ through the ministry of Paul as he went on his missionary journey. And he preached the gospel to them, and they believed, and they were saved. God was doing this wonderful work through this church. And then all of a sudden, these, this group of people, they're called Judaizers. They came from Jerusalem, and they told these Christians that, hey, believing in Jesus is not quite enough. You actually have to believe in Jesus plus keep the law. And any time you say believe in Jesus plus that, you're already in there. It's Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. Now, if you guys are watching the world, you're watching the church, and we're seeing that much of the church is going into liberalism, taking the Bible and just kind of washing it away, taking you know, things that have been taught for thousands of years. Things are very clear in the Bible, right? And, the, and the, the church, I'm not saying the whole, but those who call themselves a church are basically saying, you know what, that's not valid any longer. You know, immorality, those type of things. Let's not be judgmental. And we're, we're kind of seeing people being led away into sin, right? But there's another side that we also have to be careful of, and that's called legalism. Legalism is when you say Jesus plus something saves you. But it's also saying that it going beyond what is written and, and calling something sin that God never calls sin. So we're adding on to the Bible. And when you experience legalism, you're going to find yourself drying up. You're going to find yourself frustrated, or you're going to find yourself being a Pharisee. The Pharisees were legalists, and they thought they had it all together, and they looked down on everyone else. And Jesus came and kind of bursted their bubble, didn't he? He said, you guys are sinners too. But legalism, it brings pride or it brings total frustration, but it never will bring the joy of the Lord. The the joy of the Lord will only be found when you rest in Jesus Christ and you rest in what he has done for you on the cross. So understanding that, this group that was experiencing the joy of the Lord, all of a sudden these legalizers, these Judaizers come in and it's like a black cloud. It's just like, you know, have you ever met someone like that? It's like, oh, no, you know, here they come. Because they're just like, they're downers all the time. Well, these guys carried that kind of bag. They came into a church that was just blessed of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and they, this got, they brought like this black cloud over the church. And they started to tell these Christians, hey, you're not really saved. I know what Paul said, but you need to keep this, this, and this, and this. You need to keep the law of Moses. You need to quit eating pork you need, and, and keep all the... All the laws in the Old Testament. Well, Paul's writing to them, and he's so concerned for them because they're now departing from the truth into this religion of works. And so let's read chapter 3. We're going to read down to verse 9, and then we're going to pray. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive this spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And as the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us, Lord. There's probably many things going on in many lives today that are here, and Lord, many things that are going on after this. We pray that you would gather our attention, Lord. You would get our attention, that, that you would teach us by your Spirit, Lord, that you would do the work you want to do in us, in Jesus' name, amen. So you kind of see here, Paul, what he does as, as these guys are now kind of buying into this whole idea that, well, maybe Paul didn't tell us the whole story. Maybe we do need to keep the law and, and pl- Jesus plus all these things. Paul writes to them, and he basically, we're going to break this down, and he asks them five questions. You know how God will ask you questions to get your attention? It's not that he doesn't know. You know, Adam, where are you? Remember in the garden? It's not like God didn't know where Adam was. But when Adam thought about the question, he'd go, wow, where am I? I used to have great fellowship with God. Now I'm hiding from God. So those questions kind of, they bring, they make us ponder things. They make us evaluate things. And by asking these questions, Paul's asking them to evaluate whether those guys are true or whether what they received is true. And so let's break this down into five questions. First one, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? First of all, let's just look at that. O foolish Galatians, you should hear in this statement a sorrow. It's almost like a father watching his children make mistakes. Isn't that tough? Parents, isn't that tough? When you watch your kids, they get a little bit older, and you poured into them your whole life, and, and, and you want them to make the decisions, and now they're at the age where they, they have that volition now. They have the ability to make those decisions. And, and you know, when they make great decisions, you're just rejoicing in your heart. But it, it, there's those other times you're going, oh, just make the right decision. If you see them making the wrong decisions, it, it hurts you. And this is Paul's heart. He's grieved. He's, he's sorrowful over what's happening. And, and notice, it, the foolish ones, it's not like an indictment. It's a, a sorrowful cry. Oh, you foolish ones, you're being led astray from what you know is true. And, and so we asked them, who has bewitched you that you should not follow the truth? Who has bewitched you? They, 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 these Judaizers had convinced them that they were to be really spiritual, To really follow Jesus, you had to keep the law of Moses. And Paul is saying the reality is you're actually turning away from that which is spiritual by going into a religion of works. If you look at all the religions of the world today, you know what the difference between Christianity and they are, those are? Is that they're all trying to reach God, aren't they? They're all trying to, you know, whether it's humming themselves into some kind of, you know, uh, euphoric kind of ascending place, you know, just hmm, or whether they're trying to do good works or whatever it may be, even the Muslims trying to kill themselves to, to garner their God's attention. But it's finite man trying to reach the infinite God. I mean, how do we do that? 
Christianity is the infinite God came to man. And he showed himself. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when I look at Jesus, I know what God is all about. You know what God is all about. Because Jesus has declared him. Jesus has shown us what God is all about. So when these guys now, God has given them everything they need. And now they're turning around. Now they're going, you know what? Now we need to work our way into his acceptance. Paul's saying, you're leaving the truth. Who's bewitched you to do this? You know, the reality is they're walking away. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 5. It, It teaches us of the new covenant. We are of the new covenant, not the letter of the law, but of the Spirit. For the law kills, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you want to go back and try and keep the Ten Commandments to work your way to God, that will kill you. Because honestly, how many of us have ever kept the Ten Commandments? Don't raise your hand, please. (laughs) Think about the freeways in L.A. How many of you have murdered somebody in your heart? And you were all like nervously laughing, huh? How many of you have thought impurely about the opposite sex? The the letter, the, the commandments. How many of you have walked with God and loved the Lord and never had an idol in your life? And how many of you have ever coveted? You, you spend, you just, you covet something someone else has. And, and so, you know, you just go down that list and we're guilty before God. And, and so that's what the law was given to do, was to drive us to faith in Christ, to say, you know what, you're all done. You're all sinners. But I sent my son to save you. That's what makes us hold on to Jesus Christ. Now, to go back into that and say, well, I'm going to try really hard to make it to heaven. See, the whole reason Jesus came was that no one could keep the law of God. So God promised a new covenant. And this covenant would be through his son, through grace. That's how we would be saved. Remember what Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 tells us. He says, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Think about that. When Jesus was in the garden, and remember he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood? I mean, scientists tell us, the medical field tells us, at that point he was so stressed out that he he was literally bleeding through through his pores. And he was very close to death. I can't remember the name for it, but it's a medical term that people that get so stressed, that's what happens. And Jesus was there praying on his knees. And what did he pray? Father, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he prayed that three times, didn't he? What was he asking? If it's possible for them to be saved any other way, then let this cup pass from me. Why would I need to die? But there was no voice from heaven, was there? There was no rescue. And so he submitted himself to the Father because there's no other way for you and I to be saved. That's why he went to the cross. And Paul says, the Bible says, that if there was another way, then Christ would have died in vain. If one of us, if one person could make it to heaven, that means we could all make it to heaven on our good works. But we couldn't. Therefore, Jesus went to the cross. He got up and he went willingly. They didn't arrest him. He went willingly to that cross. So if we could be saved by keeping the law of Moses, then Jesus didn't need to die on that cross. His death is proof that we could not be saved through the law. Think about this. James chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, For whoever shall keep the, the, uh, keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all of it. How many of you have stumbled at one point in the law? Just one point. Well, I'm not as bad as a murderer. It didn't say that. How many have stumbled in one point? We all have. 
See, the law is like you're either guilty or not guilty. So the whole law gets thrown at you. We're all guilty, and that's why Jesus was crucified. He died because we failed to live up to God's standard. God's standard is perfection. He doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't grade, you know, hey, you got a 90%. That's good enough. No, we need 100%. And that's where the Bible says we've fallen short of his glory. His glory is perfection, sinlessness. So when we fall short of his glory, we, we call that sin, and that's missing the mark. We've missed the mark. And that's what sin means. We've missed it. The Galatians now, they, they, they were deceived by these false teachers and f- were forsaking the gospel of grace for a religion of works. The Galatians had been convinced by these false teachers that they were, there was more to being saved than just believing in Jesus Christ. To really be saved, to really please God, you must do, do, do something. The answer, of course, is... There's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. There's an Old Covenant and there's a New Covenant. The New Covenant is based upon Jesus fulfilling the law for us. In him, we are complete. We are right with God through his death, which is the truth the Galatians had once clearly understood. Notice when Paul says, before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. What he says there, first of all, is this. Another translation says, For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was so clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross yourself. It was so clear to them. It tells us that when Paul came into a town, he didn't preach social justice. He didn't preach politics. He preached Jesus. And when, people, when, when he was done, they had a picture of Jesus Christ. And it was so real to them. You know how the Holy Spirit makes Jesus so real? That's why you're saved. Because at one point, it connected. It, it, it's like you were, it was clear to you. Man, I understand what the cross is now. He was dying for me. He was on that cross for my sin. And he was making atonement. And if I believe in that, then I will be saved, he tells me. And so it was so clear to these guys. At that moment of salvation, they, they were so joyful to hear what God had done for them. They understood the meaning of Christ's death, trusted him for their salvation. And as Paul writes, they were not obeying this truth any longer. They were moving away from it into now a religion of works. They were not obeying the truth God had given to them and that they had accepted. You know, Jesus Christ makes this truth very clear that we are saved by grace through faith alone. You guys remember when there was a group in John chapter 6, there was a group of people that he just fed them some bread. And, and they were chasing Le- uh, uh, Jesus around the lake, remember? The next morning, he was over on the other side, and they came looking for him. And he said, you guys aren't looking for me because you're after that eternal bread. You, you want the physical bread. And he tells them, work for the bread that will endure to eternal life, which prompted them to ask the question. And he, they asked him, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? Gosh, isn't that the question we all want to know? What must I do to be right with God? I, I, that's what we all want to know, right? And, and this is Jesus, the Son of God. If there was any other way, if there was any other truth, he would have said it right here. Do you know what his answer was? He, he answered them and said, This is the work of God. Are you ready for this? That you believe in him whom he has sent. I mean, if there was ever a time to tell us there's another way, there's something else we must do, that was the time. What must we do to do your work, God? And the Son of God, who's the reflection of God, 
says, this is what you must do. Believe in me. You want to be right with God? Believe in me. You trust me and me only. If there was anything else, don't you think Jesus would have told us? Don't you think he would have told us right here? These guys walked away and they could do with that what they wanted, but that's the truth they had. And he left them with that truth. Now to move back into the law was a way, as a way to be right with God is to forsake this truth. It's to forsake the finished work of Christ. And so Paul asked them, who has bewitched you? I mean, another translation says, who has cast a spell on you? Who has deceived you? Their thinking was so clouded and so unbiblical that, that it was like they were under a spell. It was like they didn't captivate. They've changed. You guys were so clear on this. You, saw, you had the clear picture. You received Christ and you were saved. And now you're, you're confused. Now you're deceived. There's like it's something, a darkness has come over you. Which brings us to the second question. He says in verse 2, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you get saved is the question. How do we get saved? He's asking these Gentiles. They could look back to the moment they received Christ. Many of them didn't even know the law of God in the first place because they're Gentiles. So how did they get saved? How, did they, how do you receive the Spirit of God? Do they really work hard? Did Paul come in and say, you know what? Do this, this, and this, and this. And then when you perfect that, then you'll receive God's Spirit and be saved. No, Paul came and said, you want to be saved? Believe in the Son of God. So the question is, how were you saved? Were you saved by faith or were you saved by works? And the question, they would have to answer, of course, well, we were saved by faith. They, they, they would have to think through this thing through. Of course, their answer would be by faith. They did nothing to earn their salvation. They simply believed. When Paul came to them, he preached to them. They believed and they were saved and they were sealed with God's spirit. As I said, Gentiles most likely never even heard of the law of God, so let alone keeping it. So they would look back, well, you know what? We were saved by your grace. We received the Spirit by faith. By, and, and that is the most amazing thing. Is like I could be right at, after this service, I could say, listen, anybody that does not know Jesus Christ, does not know God, come up here. And if you will confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus says, if you believe in me, you passed out of judgment into life. And, and so when we look at our way of salvation... It's only through Jesus. They did nothing to earn it. God found them in their sin and he saved them when they believed, just as he did us. I wasn't looking for God. God looked for me. I was doing my thing. I was living in Huntington Beach. I grew up in a pretty kind of hippie-ish biker family. And man, I had liberties like you would not believe. Now that my daughter's getting older, I can kind of tell her a little more about my life. I mean, I was addicted to Copenhagen at nine years old. My dad used to buy it for me. I used to get it in my stocking. I did. I got it in my stocking. They sold pot. We were the, we were the pot dealers on the street. We knew the biggest Coke dealer in Huntington Beach. And we, when I'd go, ride with my dad in between his love pickup truck, remember those things? I'd ride in between. They're smoking weed on both sides, windows up. And we're going down the street, and we're hiding because this guy named Cobb, I remember this guy named Cobb, another Coke dealer, was trying to kill this guy. I'm thinking, what in the world was I doing with you, you know? I had liberties that were just crazy. And, and, you know, and I started to go down the path of my dad. 
And God found me about 20, 21 years old. And he saved me. Saved me by grace, radically. I know what darkness is and I know what light is. And it wasn't anything I could do. I just surrendered. I, I got it. Jesus was clearly betrayed as crucified before me. I understood it. And I gave my life to him. And he saved me just as he did to them. And, and so Paul is now talking to these Christians. And he's telling them, listen. This is the essence of Christianity. This is the essence of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith alone. We did nothing. We offer nothing. We simply believed. And that's how we can say to anybody on the street, if you will believe in Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. Anticipating that the Galatians would affirm that they were saved by faith, they received the Spirit by faith, then Paul asked them a third question in verse 3. He says this, Are you so foolish then? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? They were deceived into thinking that after their initial faith in Jesus, it was now up to them to do good works to continue to be accepted by God. This, in my opinion, guys, is our biggest trap for the Christian. How do I stay right with God as a believer? Because what happens is this. You give your life to the Lord, right? Just as I did. And in, you, you feel that initial, like, just release, forgiveness, peace. And, you know, you're at the altar, wherever it was, you accepted Christ. And, and you, you just, man, I, I don't ever want to leave this place. And then when you walk out of there, you realize there's still a lot of Daniel, right? There's still, I still have thoughts. I still have temptations. I still have some faults in my life. Wait a minute, the pastor said that I was saved when I gave my life to him, but my life doesn't look like it. I don't feel like it inside because I know me. No one knows you like you know you, right? You know the thoughts you have. I mean, if you knew the thoughts the person next to you had right now, you'd probably get up and walk out. (laughs) I'm serious. The Bible is very clear. It's not joking. We are sinners. And we, we need rescuing. And so, yeah, of course we take our thoughts captive. Of course we repent. But you see that stuff in there, don't you? And what happens is we come to a crossroads in our life after we initially accept Christ. And I think often. Not just once, but many times. I've been walking with the Lord 20-something years now, 25, 26 years. And as I, I come to those crossroads, and I, when I'm feeling like a really bad sinner, I'm just like, Lord, do you know who I am? There's a temptation there. The Judaizers sound pretty appetizing because they're saying, you know what? They're, they're kind of going into that, that mode you have. At that crossroads, you're feeling like, man, I don't, is there, there's got to be something I can do to be accepted by God because I don't feel like I'm accepted by God. I, I, I repent. I'm not walking in any predominant sins, but I know I'm a sinner, you know? And, and so what happens is the, the Judaizers come along and say, hey, you know what? You need to do this and this. And that sounds appealing because you feel so bad. Well, you know what Christ is telling you to do? Hold on tighter to the cross, to, to believe more, not work more to trust more, to know Jesus more, and the knowledge of his grace more, and and not work. This, in my opinion, guys, is the biggest trap for us. How do I stay right as a believer? 
The simple answer is keep trusting Jesus. You can do nothing to improve your standing before God that he's already done. You can't improve what Jesus has done for you. You know, well, he's brought me this far. I just need to top it off a little bit with my good works. Works will not improve what Jesus has already done for you. It's a lack of faith in Jesus' finished work to even try to improve on what he has done. Now, we're, we're just talking salvation here. We must continue to trust that Jesus has made us right with God. We have to leave each day in faith that Jesus did it all. When you doubt his work on your behalf, that is when you start working for his approval. Listen to that. When you doubt his work on your behalf, that's when you feel like you're going to have to work for God's approval. You're moving away from the truth and into a religion of works. You know, motivation is everything in this. It's everything. We should do good works because we've been accepted by God. We don't do good works to be accepted by God. Does that make sense? Have you ever seen a child that is really loved? They're not trying to garner their mother and their father's attention. They just kind of live in it, don't they? They're just kind of restful. Or a wife that's loved by her husband. She's not walking on eggshells all the time. She's not concerned all the time because her husband loves her. Well, when we know God loves us, then we find that rest too. It's like going back to the way, we're the bride of Christ. And that's okay, guys, what the Bible says. We're the bride of Christ, all of us. And so Christ has done it all, and he's accepted us. He has made us right with God and and attached to him. And, And so we should find rest in that relationship, not fear in that relationship. Perfect love casts out fear. But when we're not resting what he's done, we're fearful. And we're, then we're trying to perfect our own selves before God now. We're trying to work our way into his graces. Well, again, we really have to watch out for this. We're saved by grace. Our good works should be the fruit of this grace. They do not garner God's grace. The mo- I say motivation is everything. It's like God has brought you to his throne. And he says, let me, let me clean you. Let me wipe you off. You're my child. Now go act like it. Good works say, I got to work myself to the throne. Do you see the difference? See the difference? There's a rest that comes from understanding. Man, when you know Christ, when you understand grace, you understand what he has done, it makes you do good works out of gratitude. Do you know that's what worship really is? Worship is not to get something. I'm going to worship really hard so you give me that raise. I'm going to worship really hard so I can whatever it may be. No, we worship in response. Just as a, a wife and a husband, when they're in love with each other, they do things not to garner grace. They do things because there is grace and they want to show each other appreciation. And there's a freeing aspect to that. Works try to earn God's blessing. Faith receives God's blessing based on what he's done. Trust Jesus, not your works, for his blessings. Are you so foolish He's asking the question, are you so foolish you think you can actually now perfect yourself that initially Jesus has done a work of salvation, now it's it's up to you to maintain that salvation? No, you simply keep looking at the cross of Jesus Christ and you continue to get on your knees before him, which gives us the fourth question. Verse four, he says, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? This word can be translated in a positive sense or in a negative sense, the word suffered. Paul, I mean, certainly Paul was persecuted in this area in Acts 14. He was in this area, he was persecuted, and that no doubt spilled over to the others in the church. 
As the pastor was starting to be persecuted, he would leave, and certainly they went after the rest of them. And, and so they, were, they once suffered for their simple faith, but now they're leaving it. They once held strong to the, the gospel of grace. You know, it's by, by grace through faith, you know. But was it all just in vain? But in a positive sense. And I think this goes more with the flow. Is that the word could also mean experiences in a good sense. Have you suffered or have you had so many experiences? Are they now vain? He's asking them to go back. All those spiritual experiences you had, were they just nothing? Did they mean nothing? Were they not real? If you, if you buy into this idea that God saves and maintains your acceptance by works, then you would have to say those experiences of his graces were nothing and meaningless. They weren't real because you had not worked for it. You simply believed it. Just as we look in our lives and we, we accept the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and he starts working in our life, I, all of us have those private moments with the Lord where he's answered prayer, where he's spoken to us, and he's convicted us, all those things the Spirit has done in our lives. How did he do that? Why was he working in our lives? Why is he in our lives? Why is he blessing our lives? Why is he speaking to our lives? Was it because we had good works or because we believed in his son? This is what he's asking. If you're saying it's got good works, then none of those things count, guys, because you didn't work for them. And of course, they're st- the light bulb's starting to go on. They're starting to realize Do you agree with that? And the answer would, of course, be no. Let's bring us to the final question. Verse verse 5, he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. He says, does he do it by the works of the law or does he do it by the hearing of faith? Essentially, what he's asking is, did you earn those miracles? Do we ever earn miracles in our life, guys? I need some feedback. Do we earn it? We don't, do we? Some of you may be thinking, well, I've earned a miracle. No, we haven't. That's, that's the essential question. How is it that God does miracles in your life? Because you worked really hard and God's paying you off? That's a payment, right? You're working for those wages. You're working for that miracle. Paul's saying, no, God did those things in your life because of his grace, because you knew his son. Don't get me wrong on this, but those times, man, when I feel like the worst sinner, I'm not talking about walking in sin, but there's just an awareness in my life where I'm just bankrupt. I know with me coming to God with me, I can't do it. And and those moments of, of being poor in spirit, Jesus called it, being poor in spirit before our God, it's many times in those places that God, that's when God blesses me. It's almost like God says, I need you there to understand that so I can bless you so that you don't think you earned it. And, you know, God blesses your life, and you're like, wow, I, wasn't even, I didn't even read four chapters today. God's saying, because you're in my son. We read because we're in the son. We read because we get to read. We pray because we get to pray. We witness because we get to witness. Not because we are trying to garner God's grace. I can never say God did this for me because I was so good. Nobody can. And this is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul wants them to realize. They were blessed by God's power and miracles in their life because they believed in Jesus, not because they followed the law of Moses or any law for that matter. His spirit and his benefits are gifts to be received. They're not to be worked for, nor can they. Was it by faith or was it by the works of the law? You see that question again? 
How are you saved? How is God working in your life? Is it by works or is it by faith? So why are you falling for this deception? Why are you going back into this? Why are these false teachers having such an impact on you, teaching that the law of Moses will save you? Guys, in Christianity, we can do the same thing. You've sinned. You've done something. And there's a sect of what's called Christianity that will say, if you pray this 20 times, then you know what? You've basically made penance for that sin. That's a works, guys. You don't even have to know what you're saying. You can just rotely say it, right? Just, you just say that, that prayer over and over and over again. It's like, whoo, I covered that sin. Now, that's a works-based. That's perfecting yourself. You know how you get rid of sin? You go to Jesus. 1 John 1.9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he's just, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a Christian's bar of soap. That's what it's been called. Remember Jesus when he washed the disciples' feet? First of all, Peter didn't want him to. There's a couple words there, Greek words. Very interesting. And when, when Peter, when, when he finally says, if you don't let me wash your feet, Peter, you have no part with me. Well, Peter, over the top Peter, well, then wash me from head to toe, you know? And Jesus said, hey, Peter, he is bathed, only needs to wash. You have all been bathed. When we accept Christ, he bathes us, he washes us. But just like in Jerusalem, just like the analogy shows, when you walk through those streets with their sandals on, you're going to get some dirt on your feet. So now the water of the word, we get washed. We wash our feet. When we, when we leave here, when we go, when we do our things, we need to be in the word. We need to constantly washing our feet in that sense, through the word, through, through confession before the Lord Jesus Christ. Why were they falling for this? Why do we fall for this? Because sometimes, guys, we have an awareness of our sinfulness. God is wanting you to find rest in Jesus Christ on the cross, not to get frustrated or, or, or buy into this whole idea. Maybe, maybe there's more. Maybe, maybe I've got to do more. If that's your motivation, you need to come back to the cross and understand the cross because at the cross, you're going to find rest. And that's what God wants for you. God writes his word and gives us his promises because he wants his children and those who believe in him to trust in the salvation he has given to them. First John, I write these things that you may know you have eternal life. Not that you may guess, not that you may wonder. Jesus says, if you believe in me, you've passed out of judgment into life. Over and over and over, the Bible says this. When you believe, you believe in your heart, you trust Jesus Christ, Of course there's going to be fruit. Of course there's going to be that in your life. But it's a different motivation. Cheap grace is, oh, I I love that. I I, I don't need to do anything. That's not saying that. You know, that kid in Sunday school, that the teacher asked him, will you guys accept Jesus Christ? He'll come into your heart. And the little kid said, well, he'll stick out. You know how kids are literal? But isn't that true? If God comes into your heart, isn't he going to stick out? He's going to stick out of your life. Absolutely. But there's a different motivation. You're his. You're resting in that salvation. And then you're walking it out. Work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. 
work out the salvation God has given to you. I tell you, it will put you at rest. Sometimes we have chores as Christians. And if we don't complete, the, complete those chores, we don't feel right with God that day. Don't get me wrong. I'm not discouraging anybody from reading or praying. We should do those things. But if you didn't read like you were supposed to, you didn't pray like you were supposed to, you're walking through the day going, I don't know if God loves me. I didn't do those two things. You can't improve upon God's love. You may feel weaker because you didn't get in the word. You may not have direction because you didn't ask your father. But he loves you. And you're his if you know Jesus Christ. We need to do those things like we're doing now. Gather together, right? Get in the word, worship, fellowship, encourage one another. But our salvation, our acceptance is of God through Jesus Christ. He did it all for us. Let me, let me close with this passage. Turn with me to John or Matthew chapter 11. I just want to ask you this question. Verse 28. Maybe listen to this freshly today. Jesus was talking to people who were under the law. They were, every single day they woke up and they thought, holy, unholy. Remember, with food, with clothing, everything they did, God taught them in the law to think holy, unholy. But then the rabbis added even more, right, to it. I mean, the commandment not to work on the Sabbath was simple. Don't work on the Sabbath. You know, they, had, they, they actually added 39 volumes of different categories to, to what work was. If you, women, don't look. This is true. Women, don't look in a mirror on the Sabbath day because you may see a gray hair and you pluck it, you're harvesting. <laughs> don't spit in the mud because it will roll and you're plowing. Can you imagine? These people are living like, oh my gosh. We're done. I mean, anybody who is just reasonable would realize they're not keeping this. And then Jesus says this to them, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You guys know what a yoke is? I'll just say it because when I first read this from Huntington Beach, I had no idea what a yoke was. I'm thinking, why are eggs in Scripture? I don't understand it. I Seriously. Yoke is that contraption you put on two animals. And it keeps them even. Jesus is saying, yoke with me. My yoke will fit you perfectly. That's the idea. My yoke is easy. It's light. Who do you think carries more of the load when you're walking side by side with Jesus? I kind of picture my legs kind of off the ground when I'm walking with him. (laughs) Yoke with me. He says, come find rest in me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Ask yourself this question. Is that your Christian experience? Is that your Christian experience? This is what Jesus is telling us the experience would be for a Christian. 
Is it easy and light? Or are you walking around condemned and in performance every single day? Jesus is saying, you got to come where? To me, to him. Come to me. And I love the word, suki. He says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. The word is suki. We get our word psyche from it. You're going to find rest for your psyche. You're going to find rest for your mind. The world is looking for rest. The world is trying to find rest. They're finding it in a bottle, in pills, wherever. They're, they're trying to find it. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Religious people are trying to find it in work. Jesus is saying, come to me. If you come to me, you're going to find rest. Doesn't that sound appealing? Is that your experience as a Christian? If it's not, then come to Jesus. You can be a Christian but not find his rest. You can be saved but not live like you are, not have the rest like you are. I'm talking to Christians. If you don't know the Lord, you need to come to him. But those who have been walking, maybe, maybe just a, a good word for you, a reminder of what Christ is all about. And then when you find that rest, you're going to want to go live it out. You're, you're going you're, you're to share it in joy. You're going to worship. You look around, why are people raising their hands during worship? Because those people that are singing and raising their hands, they know something. They know God loves them. They know God accepts them. I, don't, I can't raise my hand because I don't know he's accepted me. Well, go back to the cross. His blood cleanses us from all sin. And rest in that. Grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're told in the Bible. You see, there's two ways to look at it. The, the, much of the church is going off into sin and liberalism, denying God's word. But there's the other side of legalism. And by the way, I think it is just as deadly. It is unappealing. You know, you're in your family and you're just, you're all law and you're just basically rigid and you're that dark cloud and, your kid, and you wonder why your kids don't want to serve the Lord. Because it, it, you're, you're, you're doing what the rabbis did. You got to give them Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Grace is not scary when you understand grace. Grace changes you. It's the only thing that changes you. It's the only change that, the thing that gets your motivation right. Don't you love all the young people up here, I was looking, I was just like, praise God. Man, they are walking with the Lord. They're doing that. They understand Jesus is appealing. He's for the sinner. He's for people like us. But man, are, are we that dark cloud? Are we under that performance? Are you just, you have nothing to sing about because you don't know you're right with God? Come to Jesus. He will give you rest. Those are his words, not mine. Come to him. Amen.